live in a time where hip hop culture is embraced in the native community. And it's one way I try to convey a message to the kids. Since its inception, generations of youth have gravitated to hip hop. The genre has been the platform for young people to express their art. And we see this in our communities around the world, specifically in Native America, and how hip hop culture relates to Native life. I write a lot about indigenous resistance. We have to remember those seeds to our existence that have always been there. From Minnesota to Alaska, we follow eight Native American MCs in this four-part series. Their dynamic voices carry insight and raw emotion as they share their stories. From Indigify, I'm Alexis Salee. This is Definition of Resilience. I traveled across the country and started this journey in northern Minnesota, Anishinaabe country. Originally, I was following a hip-hop MC who goes by Thomas X. We met him at a dive bar for a friend's rap show, and I asked him to introduce me to any other MCs he might know. He pointed out a lady named Nicole, who was also in the bar. She approached us and with a raspy voice introduced herself and said, I've got a lot to say. My rap name is Gijigukwe, and it means daymaker. I was raised a lot by my grandmother and I just kind of gravitated to her, her strength. And I remember when I was six and I stumbled across this picture and it felt, it was like one of those old school pictures. It was like a tag board one. And I remember like wondering, who's that little boy, you know? And I was like, grandma, who's this little boy? And she's like, that's me. And I said, how come your hair's short? And she's like, because I was in boarding schools she told me about those things that happened to her, and I just looked at my grandma, and like she was supposed to be my, my role model and my powerhouse, and I just couldn't imagine those types of things happening to her, and I was just like, damn, man. The indigenous situation is really real. This is who I am. This is who I come from. She told me that the day that she got there, that they cut her hair and they dumped her whole body in kerosene because they thought all the Indians had lice. So that happened like five, ten minutes prior to taking the photo. She was five and I was six and I was just like, that is some real stuff. Now looking back, I was fortunate enough to be educated at such a young age so that that really formed my worldview. It had a lot to do with who I was, my culture, my language and through hip hop. It took me a while to be able to harness that and like what kind of message was I gonna put out there. Nicole's grandmother influenced every part of the person she is today. Learning her language, keeping family and traditional teachings close. The way she spoke and told her story, there were moments we were holding back tears. I instantly felt connected and inspired by her. A powerful native woman who took care of her family, eight children, a pancreatic cancer survivor, and still happy. Listening to her made me want to put things that I worry about into perspective. Being a busy mother of eight, Nicole fits in her lyrical writing while washing dishes or through dump raps, a term she coined for rhymes she comes up with on the way to the dump to take out her family's garbage. I just do it when I'm running errands or picking kids up or dropping 
Like, that's what I do. I just, like, run errands, and I'm in the, in the vehicle a lot. And so if I'm not doing dishes or folding laundry or whatever it is or running errands, that's just what I do. The process of me driving to the dump is a 15-minute ordeal, and so I got 15 minutes to work with. It's quick, quick thinking. And when I was 11 years old, I started out as a battle rapper. That was it for me, and I was a chubby little Indian girl, and I was just like sitting in a basement all the time, listening to beats, and what are all these people gonna come at me and say to me? What do they have to say about me? I'm a chubby little Indian girl who grew up poor, but who grew up with teachings and values and morals. And so I know what I'm working with. And I knew I was a fighter, you know, and I could back it up. And so I just like, they're gonna say I'm this, I'm that. And so I started like basically looking in the mirror and battle rapping myself and like everything that anybody could ever come at me with. And so I just got witty and I read the dictionary Hip-hop and my language, like, saved me, man. They say It saved my life, and it helped me, like, realize who I am. We got our own private concert as we sat with Nicole in her friend's living room. Don't make me pull out the salve like a rabbit out the hat. It's not by choice, it's bad habits and habitat. Because if I get stuck going rat-a-tat-tat, I'm taking a supremacist with me. Gawain and Ayasi, I'll be gone in a jiffy, swiftly. Quickly, you gon' see how thick these sticks be. Smart enough to take the ugly oppression gives me and give it right back. Cause decolonization is the best thing since cracking. We are, we are the definition of resilience and that's a known fact. Nicole talked about how she found her voice and connected to her identity through writing. I write a lot about indigenous resistance and that's why it comes off so aggressive and so raw, you know, and I talk a lot about historical things, reclaiming what's ours, what's always been ours. We haven't forgotten. We just have to remember. Those things aren't gone. We just have to remember that they were there. We have to remember those seeds to our existence that have always been there. That's what's so unique about Indigenous hip-hop artists. We bring a lot more depth and feeling and we just bring a lot to the table when it comes to hip hop or any music genre or artistry. Or we just bring a lot more to the table. That's what makes us so unique. And so we have to battle all these different aspects of what it means to be indigenous or what we think it means to be indigenous. And so we do our best and that's what makes it so, so dope. At the age of 19, Nicole started involving herself in the community and learning her native Ojibwe language which she then started teaching at the age of 20. I think my language did a lot of that for me, kind of beginning to know who I am as an indigenous person through the language, being in the community and the culture, language did it for me. Just understanding who I was and what my purpose was and how to harness my gifts and talents and use them in a way that I can help the people. There's a big teaching that we give the gift back, and so whenever we understand our gifts, that we're supposed to give them back. Nicole's past involves some hard times. She got into trouble, sold drugs, and spent time in jail. Her first daughter was born when she was 19. 
It was a really pivotal moment, making her realize not only how her past choices put limitations on her life, but also the kind of person and mother she wanted to be. You know how there are those moments in your life that suddenly change your course or send you down a new path? When you pick up a camera and see the beauty that you can capture with it. Or you win your first game and feel like an athlete for the first time. Nicole shared the memory of when she first heard hip-hop and the surprising effect it had on her. Man, I, I got introduced to hip-hop when I was like four years old. Other than other horrible memories, like I just had like this really rough upbringing. Every stigma, every stereotype, every dysfunction that you can think of, I felt like I was like, that was me. I was the testimony for that. So not only was my earliest memory a negative one, it was hip hop. And I remember hearing a tape and I just lit up. I just lit up. And I just remember feeling it and I'm just like, man, this is, this is dope, you know? And I just remember like nodding my head and my brothers were older. I had two older brothers and they were showing that to me. I remember getting cable and watching MTV and then I was just like NWA and a lot of Ice Cube. Like, Then I remember Wu-Tang coming out and then being young and like Wu-Tang was my jam for a long time, man, and they still are. Those were my my main influences in like Nas and Gangstar and Sean Price was the dude, man. Those were like my biggest influences. Method Man, Red Man, those kinds of guys, you know. Nicole shared a story about her grandma abruptly pulling over in her 87 red Mustang because she spotted a sick porcupine, or gog in Ojibwe, on the side of the road. They gathered the porcupine quills and went to find a specific flower to dye the quills with. The skill of quill work is one of the things that inspires Nicole to educate the next generations in Anishinaabe culture. Her grandma's knowledge empowered her to learn and appreciate the world around her despite the darker side of life on the reservation. The day that my grandmother told me about her boarding school experience, that changed my life forever. She told me that the best part of her life is being a grandmother. What's more honorable than being a community grandmother? It's the highest position in an indigenous community and I want to be that one day. And so I think that my gift through language and I've obviously been gifted the ability to raise kids because I'm raising eight children right now. And I always take in extra kids almost nightly. And I feed them, I do whatever I can for them. And I think that that might be my gift. A tattooed, sleeved, rapping granny. <laughs> I can dig it, man, I'll, I'll, I'll get down on it. <laughs> I'm still that same savage rapping about the facts from back then and how that ish is still happening in the schools within the rules till we refused all the abuse and now we do it better than yous and we better than Berettas and we fed up with you fools. See, I got dudes who get rude and you bet that they got goons that dare to get buffoon when they step inside the room and they've been on standby since yesterday at noon. Your platoon at cartoon, I blow up they get balloon. Arrived. Welcome to the Red Lake Reservation, home of the Anishinaabe people, Ojibwe culture, 500 years of resistance, red ghettos, survivors of the American genocide, struggle, poverty, and yet still there is hope inside the young Niji named Thomas X. Thomas X. Thomas X. Thomas X. Thomas X. 
As a teenager is when I started learning about Red Lake history. Watching the Red Power movement, you know, I looked up the people like Russell Means, John Trudell, and they were from different tribes, you know, they were different kind of indigenous. So it made me want to be proud of being Ojibwe. I didn't even know it, but I was connecting with who I was. So to get connected with my Red Lake and Ojibwe history and culture, it was empowering and it, it means a lot to me. And that's probably why I talk about it a lot in my rap music. Welcome to my reservation. I tell them. Welcome to my reservation. Thomas X was born and raised in Red Lake and has always been very involved in his community, personally and politically. His music weaves Ojibwe teachings through it, and he does a lot of youth outreach in addition to being an MC. His album, Welcome to the Res, is all about his experiences growing up in Red Lake. I just really wanted to represent the res, the reservation and the native people. You know, I just felt like we're the product of 500 years of oppression right here. This is what over 500 years of inflicted oppression has led to. Here we are on these ghettos in the woods, these reservations. And I took it upon myself being a native hip-hop artist to just want to represent all the people on the reservation. Back from the dead, I am the crow. Fly above the res, let my people know that I'm really putting on for the people in my tribe, that I'm really putting out good energy and vibes. Come on, uh. Give dabs and hugs, came here to get rid of other people dealing drugs. My people in the strug, my people needing love, uh. This is what we got. The disconnection from who we are. That's the umbrella of all of our problems the drug addictions, the suicide rates, domestic abuse, the poverty, the all around struggles that go on on the reservation. It's all due to our disconnection from who we truly are. There's a void inside of us. And it's our culture. Burn sage, put the back out and say a prayer. In the sweat lodge, send your words way up there. As long as we alive, the culture can survive, the language can survive, it could all survive. Uh Buchi go, Bimanaja among Anishinaabe, is it twa with none? Mina wa nijwa so uh get canoe my gay when Minaji it the win the boy when the Our culture has been passed down orally. You know, we didn't write it down on anything. Our teachings have survived for thousands of years, just passing it down through stories. So I look at rap music as, you know, a way I could tell stories and leave some kind of culture and words for people. I want the younger generation to hear about the seven teachings, to hear about our chiefs, to feel prideful about being Red Lake Ojibwe. That's why I always try to promote the culture in my music and just my everyday life to the kids, is tell them to put out your tobacco, doing the small things that the baby steps to leading back to our culture. In his track entitled March 21st, Thomas delves into a horror story that has become all too common in the U.S. that he unfortunately experienced firsthand. A handful of events occurred that pretty much uh, sent me on a course of destruction. When I was uh, 14, my only uh, older brother, Robert, passed away. He drowned. Um, he was a fisherman and a batesman. He was getting his uh, traps for 
leeching and he drowned. And that was in May of 2004. In December of 2004, my girlfriend at the time had committed suicide. Before that, we had teenagers in the community committing suicide and it was uh, weird to see that happening, but to you know have it happen to somebody you really cared about and were close to it, it was a confusing time. So that was December of 2004, and then in March of 2005 was the, the Red Lake High School shooting. And I, uh, I lost my girlfriend, my best friend, Alicia. And I mean, I, it's a small town, you know, it was a school of 150 kids, so I knew everybody that died, I knew everybody that got shot. In northern Minnesota today on the Red Lake Indian Reserve, a 16-year-old Chippewa boy went on a shooting spree. spree, 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 spree. I had seen my friend Cody get shot. We were the last classroom that was um, shot in and was shot at. Now we running out the office to the next room. People panicking, screaming, we'll be dead soon. The west side of the building, what we heading for? Then we run across the room, see the exit door. Fran looks and there's nobody in sight. So the students got ready and they ran for their lives. The shooter spots them and bucks at the kids. You can see the bullets hit the grass, hit the bricks of the South Hall. I can see death coming. The students still running while the shooter's still dumping. Emilio to my right, Cody to my left. I didn't think that I would come to school escaping death. I didn't think that I would be saying rest in peace to my girlfriend, my best friend, and Jeff Weiss. All my innocence was lost in the fun stopped. March 21st, I ran from the gunshot. Everybody in my classroom made it out alive. Yeah, March 21st, telling the story of what I saw through my point of view. On top of witnessing such a devastating event and suffering such heavy losses, Thomas then faced new obstacles as a result of his experience. He talks about dealing with the trauma and how it affected him. So the school shooting happened, and then I was still dealing with the loss of my brother, who I was really close with. And then to deal with something like that, it was so traumatic that I just went numb. It was like, like all my youthful innocence was lost after that. Everything was like, so gray and lethargic. I viewed the world differently after the school shooting. Just within a year and a half, it just seemed like everything was going bad. It was like bad thing after bad thing. The trauma of the shooting and the hardships of losing brothers the way I did, it sunk in and it, it's, it's something I still feel today. At the age of 17, I started drinking. 20, I started using drugs like uh, prescription pain meds, cocaine, and then it eventually turned into uh, other opiates and methamphetamines as I got older. I just wanted to forget, and it was a way to numb myself. Thomas's drug use caught up with him and came to a breaking point. I asked Thomas how he was able to turn his life around. I overdosed. I um, was using a lot of opiates at my home one day with some friends, and it was like throwing up nonstop, and just like I had my friends take me to the hospital, and I didn't tell my parents about it, and I got to the hospital and they did some work on me and they let me know that I, my body had way too much uh, drugs in my system and I, I overdosed and they kept me in the hospital for a day. That was like my rock bottom. I could have just, you know, kept doing what I was doing, which was being sad and just being sad about and playing victim. 
But I guess uh, nowadays I tell people I, I use the rock bottom as my platform to rise up and do something with myself. So after, you know, the overdose happened, I made a decision to get off of drugs, which was tough. I went through the stage of withdrawals and the stage of, you know, not having friends after that because the friends I had were all using. And um, I got back into writing. I actually used hip-hop as a way to release the energy I was feeling and just got reconnected with my culture. Started putting on my tobacco every day, praying to get you money due and asking for uh, the guidance to find strength, burning my sage, going back into the sweat lodge. And the, the sense of even having that little bit of culture gave me a lot of pride and that was like something that I tried to replace the drugs with. I tried to replace the drugs with the culture. Out of his grief and trauma grew his artistic ability, using culture as his way off of drugs and beginning to write rhymes again. I asked Thomas about when he started incorporating Ojibwe language into his music. First time I rapped in Ojibwe was, well, we used to do Cypher Saturdays with Res Rap Records, whereas we'd get together and just all spit verses. And I would just like throw a little bit of Ojibwe. Like I'd, I'd say like Buju in my raps, which means hello. I say Niji, which means friend or homie. Just drop a little bit here and there. And I was like, if I'm making a song about the res, the tribe I'm from, kind of want to kick some raps in Ojibwe. So I took the small amount of Ojibwe Moen that I knew and I, you know, tried to flow with it. The way you speak Ojibwe, it's hard to rap because it's such a just straightforward, the way we talk in Ojibwe language. Well, for first speakers, there's a distinct difference between a, a first speaker and somebody who picks it up as their second language. So I did my best to like flow. I rapped for eight bars, half of a verse in Ojibwe. Kids would come up to me and say, I heard your song. What does this mean when you said this in Ojibwe? And that tripped me out. I was like, they could hear this at school possibly, like, you know, ask their teacher, what's that mean in Ojibwe? But here these kids heard my rap song and they're like, what did you mean by this when you rap this in Ojibwe? And that made me think like, cool, I could kick a little knowledge while I'm at it. I may not be a fluent Ojibwe speaker, but the little bit I know, it could like show these younger kids that listen to my music that, you know, just pick up on it a little bit at a time. Start learning your language in your own way. Thomas also puts his energy toward political issues most recently fighting the Line 3 pipeline project that threatens resources Red Lake residents rely on. In all his endeavors, he explicitly works in elements of the culture, collaborating with youth and other artists to empower and spread pride to his people. I want to incorporate my culture. I want to incorporate some kind of Ojibwe twist to this rap thing. I want to rap over the hand drum. So I met up with Brendan Strong, who I knew was like, outside of singing on the drum, he's musical. So I was like, let's just try it. And I was like, I was like, just give me the round dance beat. And just how I keep my flow on a rap beat, I did the same thing to the drum. There's a pattern. So I was like, I could just find some kind of flow. And I wrote some stuff to it and I rapped it to him. And he was like, hey, that's kind of dope. <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna say stuff while you sing. It'll be a combination of rapping while you sing, but we're gonna open it up with just you singing. And when I heard his song, like Brendan's a beast, man. He sounds like a, 80-year-old wise men when he sings. And it was just like, he just made me feel so proud. So everything that came out, it was like, I just wanted to put out power. I just wanted to, to express native pride through my lyrics in this song where I'm just rapping over the drum. So I'm just like, you know, I'm talking about, this is what my people go through. 
but we're gonna rise above. This is who we are. This is contemporary modern times, but we're still indigenous strong, we're resilient. The revolution just kind of came naturally because the things I was talking about, it's like, yeah, not just a revolution in society, but a revolution within ourselves. The revolution of decolonizing. So we made the song and we knew we had to make a very powerful video and that's where the signs you know, came from. It's like creating awareness and telling, throwing it right in your face. Remember Sitting Bull, you know, we're still here. No more drugs. I just wanted to empower people. My reservation needs a revolution. My reservation needs a revolution. It's the resolution for the revelation. My reservation needs a revolution. It's the resolution for the revelation. We need a revolution. We need a Beyond all the struggle Native American people go through that we're very resilient people. We have the ability to rise up. This was for the seventh generation, every reservation, every elder, every youth. We are here, living proof. Hear the sounds of the drums for our daughters and our sons. Come together, we are one. Nation under Kichimani, do it's time to come together forever with eagle feathers. We'll never be able to not weather the storm for better or more. I'm ready for war. I said we ready for war. We got the words up on our back with our chiefs and our soul. Tobacco in our hands and my people gonna know. Any music that you choose, no matter what artist form you choose, it's gonna reach somebody. So you might as well make that message count. You can do a lot of things, but why wouldn't you rap to make an impact in your community? Something that has a message, something that's gonna empower somebody. And so you have to ask yourself as a youth, if you're gonna get yourself into hip hop, what kind of message are you going to put out there? Are you going to talk about drugs, pimping your women, not raising your children, having kids and not taking care of them, selling drugs to your people? Or are you going to talk about how we need to empower them through language and culture and being there, rap about how powerful our women are, about how our women give life, about how they carry water, how they are the matriarchs of an Ojibwe community, about the power of an Ojibwe woman when she can carry herself when she feels like she cannot. Think about children before herself. We're not a drunken Indian. We are so much more. Spending time with Thomas and Nicole in Minnesota I got to see how involved they are in their communities. Nicole took us to sites where historical battles took place, taught us local history, and was so passionate about preserving her Ojibwe language. Thomas is always performing shows in the community, and we got to see one during our trip. There was an audience of elementary school students who were so excited to be there. These artists are reclaiming culture by guiding the next generation. Their songs reach beyond the music to teach lessons and carry on tradition. Definition of Resilience is produced by me, your host, Alexis Salee. 
and associate producer Jessica Streitfeld. This has been a documentary production from Indigify. Thank you to the communities and indigenous territories that let us film and record on their land. Music by Gisha Gukwe, Garlic Brown, and Thomas X. Theme music by Keys IMC. Definition of Resilience is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. The Siri Foundation, Margaret Casey Foundation, Progressive and Social Justice Fund of the Alaska Community Foundation, Atwood Foundation, Cook Inlet Tribal Council, and Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.